Hey, listeners, wherever you are, whenever you are, this is Marcia Epstein with Talk With Me, where I live at the intersection of art and mental health. And that's pretty real for me with the variety of things that are in my life and people who are in my life. And I am excited about things coming up. I'm excited about things today. And today happens to be the last day of August of 2017 when we're recording. Uh, It's hard for me to imagine that. I'm really thrilled to be with this person today who's one of those people, like most of my guests, who there's a connection from this person to that person, from this person to that person, and then we get to do this thing. And in this case, this is not the first show with this guest. And it's always this wonderful experience, mix of light and serious, spiritual and just goofy, um, baseball and poetry, who knows where we'll go. Um, I am very happy to introduce my guest today, Scott Thomas Outlaw. Hey, Scott, how are you? Hey, Marcia, good morning. I am (laughs) doing fairly well. Uh Uh, Raining here, little grace guy through the window but still got a smile on my face all right and i'm in lawrence kansas and you're here is where lilburn georgia um about an hour outside of atlanta all right and it's rainy there rainy like scary rainy or just rainy uh no just last couple days it's been on and off it's Uh steady right now but yeah i kind of dig it all right because we're recording obviously during a time when there's a lot too much rain going on in other parts of the south. So that's where that is very true. Yeah. Um, some chaotic moments down there in Houston right now. Yeah. Send our thoughts out to them. Yeah, absolutely. So you are in Georgia and your work goes all over. And I mentioned baseball. So what the heck? Do you have a favorite baseball team? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. The Chicago Cubs. Um, okay. This, this person, here you are in Atlanta and absolutely Chicago Cubs. Okay. <laughs> He's a Cubby fan. All right. All right. All right. That's cool. up, uh, watching and listening to Harry Carey uh-huh. call the games on WGN. Uh-huh. So I was hooked from an early age. How did Chicago become your team early though? Or, I don't uh, know where you grew up, I guess. Uh, just because of, I think WGN broadcast nationwide. Mm-hmm. And so you get the Braves games, but here in Atlanta locally, but then also those Cubs games. Uh-huh. And I guess just the atmosphere of Wrigley Field and the uh, callings of Harry Carey and Steve Stone back at the time. Cool, 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 cool. And of course, your own personal interest in baseball, playing baseball, which, which is near to me because both of my sons, baseball was their number one sport um, when they were still playing before they had to join working world all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baseball's cool. There's a lot of, I remember talking to my friend, uh, Chaplain John Potter, who's a chaplain with the Kansas National Guard. And as he was talking about life, he used quite a lot of baseball uh, as, as metaphors for things going on in people's life. And I thought, this is delightful. 
Uh, I like baseball. Baseball is a good thing. So baseball isn't the main thing in your life um, at this point. <laughs> so for people who haven't met you before, tell us a little bit about you. Well, baseball was the main thing in my life yeah. uh, early on. I played through rec leagues and then through high school here locally at Parkview. Um, and then after high school, I decided that I wasn't going to pursue it into college because uh, my love for the sport wasn't at the level that it had been throughout those years. And I felt that if I was going to continue, I, I needed to have that respect um, of complete passion for it. And I just didn't have that anymore. So I hung up the glove and went in search of different energies and pursuits. And that took me into the writing um, after high school, which at first was a very therapeutic process, as a lot of people know, just journaling and writing lyrics, most of them pretty bad uh, in the <laughs> beginning. <laughs> and But just uh, had a passion for it. My grandfather, actually, uh, Jesse Outler, was the sports editor and lead writer at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for around 30 years. So that uh, might have been in my blood or DNA <laughs> to, at some level. But the writing definitely uh, kept coming. I connected uh -huh. with it more and more through the years and just hung with it, um, developing my craft and style that eventually led me into publishing poetry mm -hmm. starting around three years ago. And since I took that dive headfirst into the waters, I've just been swimming as far and as fast as I possibly can. Yeah. Having as much fun as possible and connecting with great people around the world. And, yeah. Uh, doing shows like this one, which is a lot of fun. Oh, um, good. Hey, with, with your writing, I, uh, poetry, I have a great respect for writers, period, in terms of good writing is brave. I think it's brave putting your words out there. For me, poetry, because at least modern poetry is really often very pared down. There's so much meaning in small amounts of words and, and letters relative to other kinds of writing. And I imagine there being challenges with all kinds of writing. You know, no matter no matter what genre somebody is writing in, but I wonder, did you did you do some other kinds of writing, and then realize poetry was the right expression for you, or did you kind of know that and and start there? Well, I think with the poetry, from the lyrical aspect of it, the musicality of it, uh, I always connected with that. Um, but I've always also done other writing, uh, short stories and essays, and I still do that. Um, but with the poetry, when I started publishing it, uh, a social justice news site called Dissident Voice back in 2014, I had originally started with political essays and then discovered that they had the poetry page. And so I just sort of fell into that backwards. And uh -huh. Angie Tibbs there published my first poem ever 
And then I started connecting with the other poets or not connecting with at that time, but reading their work and their bios and going and looking at other poetry journals and realized just what an open, expansive uh, arena it is mm-hmm. and how many different circles and communities there are and different styles of poetry that are out there and just how many people are publishing it online and then also in print. And so I became, uh, I have an addictive personality to begin with, but uh, (laughs) so I think my passion got focused into poetry very quickly when I started uh, just devouring all this work from other people. Uh And then I would follow their trails and see where they were publishing. And so I got into this obsession of sending my work out just to as many places as possible. And that sort of sparked the, uh, the poetry became in becoming the most uh, focused part of my path right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just because it led me into such fun territory, really. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I've just continued following down all those different rabbit holes. Yeah. And to me, in terms of people who are writing, thinking about their writing, there are a couple of things that you said about your your process that I think are are so important. One is that you you talk about reading, 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 reading lots of people, you know, and um, that exposure. And I I don't always remember that the, the source of things that I read, but I remember reading an article that came from an e-newsletter that I get about the arts where the person said, you know, the way you find your voice is through reading people's work. It's it's not like you just are born with your poetic voice. Um, it, it develops and it develops with influences. So read as many different people and styles as you can. You know, and, and you're talking about reading lots. And the other is, is you said that that you're sending out poems for publication was, was I think you said you did it compulsively, an obsession <laughs> with doing that. And and that's beautiful and perfect because as we know that that it takes all those efforts, it takes, as we might say, the failures to get to the successes. Um, nobody sends everything that they do and gets published the first time and everything that they think is publication worthy, you know, there has to be that willingness to keep sending and to, you know, to sometimes it's about finding better matches, but, but it's like to look at all of that as success, that, that that's, that's how we get there is by, by working. It's not, it's not just magic that happens to you. (laughs) It it certainly work to be a poet. And so just saying for those listeners who are thinking, oh man, this guy, I start hearing about him. I Google his name. I find him in all these things. No fair. It's like, well, it's because Scott's working really hard. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. And um, that is part of the process. And I think I front loaded a lot of my rejections in the very beginning because <laughs> uh, because I was sending out so much material. And so, of course, I got my uh, fair share or more than my fair share of uh, rejections and passes uh-huh. at all sorts of venues. But because I was putting out so many submissions, the acceptances were coming in as well. And so I was better able to balance and not get focused on the failures, you know, in quote, mm-hmm. 
Uh, and so I was able to move through that stage of the process fairly quickly, which I think helped me out a lot because um, I think a lot of poets do get sort of weighed down by that if if you're taking it so personally that a venue doesn't accept your work. Um, for me, I didn't take that personally. Well, maybe I did one time or two, but <laughs> uh, for the most part, I just pushed right through it uh, and found the connections that I synchronized more closely with. Yeah, and that's really cool. And and it, it also reminds me of something that, that I saw um, with Ali Malinenko, who's a poet who and, and writer who's based in New York City. Ali had a had a Facebook post recently about getting a po poem rejected for a certain publication, but the rejection was accompanied with an invitation to send another piece. You know, what she had sent wasn't quite what they were looking for. And and her Facebook post was 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 an informative was was a sharing a gift to other writers to say that what she learned is that when when publishers do that when when they ask and invite I guess another public another submission they aren't doing that randomly they aren't doing that to be nice they're doing that because they need it so make sure that you actually do send them something else that's more suitable for what they're looking for you know and and so that there's that like it's like we have to get past people have to get past that that sense of sometimes we we get we feel hurt and that's how we feel that's that's real that's fine but but to not assume that somebody's really not going to be interested in something else you know uh, and and so her her post was was commented on by people who were both other writers as well as people who have other presses and saying yeah you know we don't say that unless we mean it so so sometimes it's a not this one but another one answer is what you'll get and that's a good thing to know too I get I get um, very excited in how people are able to to get their work in print because there's this this thing for me I I love. I don't love paper in general. Like if I go to some kind of a, a presentation, whether it's a, a you know a reading or you know something that's more academic in in my social work field or whatever, you know, or or just announcement stuff. You know, I go to an arts meeting each month, and you know everybody's handing out all these pieces of paper. It's like I don't want your paper. You know, tell me where I can find this information on link uh, online. I don't I don't want to end up. With a ream of paper after you know the end of each week of things that I've that I've done, but I love having my poetry books in writing in print. I don't want to just read them online, and I love having books where I've heard the the writer read. And and this is my shout out to listeners: buy the books and buy them as close as you can to how they were produced, but from the writer at a reading, from the small press that published it, from your local independent bookseller who can order it and get it for you before you use a giant online source, um, because it really does help nurture those, those publications being available and future publications being available when we really support the local artists local as local as possible to the artists and and the press that's my psa <laughs> oh, 
and I will stand behind it 100%. Uh, <laughs> right on point. Because, and uh, it's, it's so fun to have, you know, another reading and then you can have somebody sign it. I had the, the kind of like, oh, what do I do now experience of buying a book from a, uh, from a, a that I wanted a second copy of. I bought a copy for me and I was buying a copy for a gift and the poet um, didn't realize it. So he knew who I was and he, and he did this lovely, <laughs> he did this lovely note in the front of the book. And I'm like, Oh shit, this one wasn't for me. <laughs> but I didn't have the heart to tell him that. So it's like, okay, I'll figure out what to do now. <laughs> It was meant That's for a great. wedding gift for this other person. <laughs> have this book inscribed to me. <laughs> anyway, I'm blabbing and I don't know. I, I'm, it's just, it's sweet to talk to you. And so I want to interrupt my blabbing and just now, how about one of your poems? And then we'll talk more about your writing. Okay. Sounds sure. good. Um, you were just talking about the print issues as opposed to online. Uh -huh. um, so I'll read one that is in the summer issue of Harbinger Asylum, which is a print publication put out through Transcendent Zero Press. Um, Dustin Pickering and ZMY is run that. Oh, the that Houston menu. guys. Oh. Yeah, so yeah. send out a, a prayer along with the. Yeah with this piece, um, and it's called Theory of Evolution. Not every step in life is meant to be smooth. How else could we grow and learn along the path? Not every word from our mouths can come out perfectly clean. How else could we be pushed to expand our language of love? Not every truth that they claim to have is quite so self-evident and clear. How else could these documents breathe and bring about a more peaceful union? Not every glimmer in our eyes is meant to sparkle with the stars. How else could we seek God in moments of silent darkness? Not every song from the birds can lead to a symphony under the sun. How else could the hawks soaring through the sky find a feast to keep their wings strong? Not every moment in time can be blessed by the divine. Or Maybe that's wrong, because I swear that with you by my side, it all seems holy. It's theory of evolution. That's beautiful. I love the, the ending lines, because I'm thinking, yeah, I think all of life is. And then that's what you think, too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, none of this poem is wrong. Where are you going with this? <laughs> Right, right, and and I and to me, I the way that I hear the whole poem is the reminder that all of this is important and meaningful and related. That connection and connection is is extremely important, and that's that's why I was drawn to to artists and poetry and other kinds of art because it, it does bring people together. And sometimes it brings people together who previously felt really alone. And feeling alone is, is dangerous. It's not a good place to be. It's not a place to live for a long time. And I, I have been 
touched by words that I've heard in people's writing and I've seen that spark happen for other people, you know, and, and I've heard writers talk about how beautiful it is when somebody has approached them and said how meaningful that was, it was for that person, that audience member to hear something that in essence is in that own person's heart, but the person hadn't been brave enough to say it out loud. And then here is this person at a mic sharing this, these sentiments and this audience member knows they're okay. They're going to get through this, that, you know, all those things that happen when you're connected, art does that. And, and I love that. It's art is a individual reflection of trying to connect with the source emotions of the collective. And so I think that's why we identify with each other through the poems, because we're trying to connect that micro and macro um, dualism. And so it's almost searching for the ineffable, searching for that, which is a little bit beyond our, our grasp. And then, like you said, when we hear someone else say it, oh, well, there it is. And so for a writer, definitely those moments when uh, people react to your poems and you know that you're on the right path and making those emotional connections, yeah. which is really what it's all about, art in all of its forms, truly yeah. um, connecting with other people's minds and hearts and souls and knowing that we're all in this together. Yep. Yeah. And as as you're talking and and it somehow brought me back to a conversation with some very young poets at uh, uh, one of our we have two high schools in Lawrence, Kansas where I am. One of them has a competitive slam team and the the, the team members that I've met are often young high school students, they're often sophomores, juniors, um, sometimes freshmen. So they're, they're young people. And even for them, I, I, the last time I did a show with, with the, the more recent team, one of the young women who I think was a sophomore talked about how a poem she shared, you know, at her age of 15 or whatever, that another teen came up to her and said, how meaningful that was for her, how brave she was to be able to say those words at the mic, you know, and, and how important it was for this person to hear it. And I thought, you know, it's, it's not about many, many, many years of writing and experience. You know, there are ways that, that people of whatever place in life have experiences that when they're shared are really important for everybody, you know, and it's, I loved that. I loved that, that this young person had that experience already. And it certainly inspires her to continue working on her poetry and, and her life, you know. I, I know for a lot of people, there's a lot of working out things through, through their writing. And that's a really positive thing. And um, that made me think of something. I made a video for YouTube yesterday. And I had mentioned that I was going to be on your show today. 
and a comment that a friend sent me was about how much they respect the work that you do and how much they connect with uh, your suicide prevention and uh-huh. mental health work. And so I think it's not just in poetry where those things come up. It's we make a difference in our lives in so many different ways. And so I just wanted to pass that on that. Um, Thank you. You've uh, you've been inspiring some of your listeners in other ways as well. Thank you. And tell us a little bit about this YouTube channel, because I don't know the last time you and I talked, you weren't doing that. What what are the things that you're that you're doing through YouTube? Uh, yeah, it's just a couple of months ago, actually, that I, I launched it. Um, starting with poetry and just trying to get promotion of my books out there and in different venues and avenues through social media. Um, but then it's progressed from trying to not just focus on poetry, but also as a way to connect with people on other levels of life, whether it's if I'm talking about my diet or my spiritual practices or uh, things that are going on in the world. Just it's a way for me in part to hold myself accountable mm-hmm. because if I say something on a video, then put it out there for anyone to be able to see, then I need to make sure that I'm trying to live up to those same principles. And so it helps me in my own practice Mm -hmm. in that way. And it's also a way to try and continue to develop my skills, uh, just speaking in general. And so, and just sort of subconsciously streamline my thoughts out into the world. Mm-hmm. Because as a poet, you know, gets back to what we were talking about a moment ago about being alone. There's a lot of alone time when you're a writer, and mm-hmm. so you're stuck inside your own thoughts a lot, which is a necessary part of the process. But I think the videos are then the counterpoint to that, that allow me to just start ranting and raving and rambling about <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever I might uh need to express at the time and so uh-huh. it's, it's been a good outlet in that sense and still in the beginnings of it but uh, hoping to continue to put out my thoughts about the world and hopefully be able to inspire people because that's another main point is connecting with all these different artists and poets and writers it's a constant flow of inspiration that I'm receiving from other people. And so to try and project that back outward into the world is important to me at this point in my life because I wanna stay in a state of thankfulness and gratitude for all that energy that's so positive that's coming my way. And just my small part is to try and put it back out there. Mm -hmm. And I think through the videos, um, maybe, it's a more visceral experience than just the written word. Mm-hmm. So I've been having a lot of, of fun with it. That's cool. Are you doing that alone or do you have a partner who's helping with, with uh, the video recording? Most of the videos so far have been just alone. Sometimes I'll do them on my uh, webcam mm-hmm. here with my laptop. 
but then I also have a GoPro camera. Mm-hmm. So I'll take it up to the park or into the woods with me and just sort of talk into it as I'm walking around. And that's when I really get rambling. Um, <laughs> that's cool. But uh, uh, there are some videos up there recently from a buddy of mine that recorded them. We had actually gone to an event up in Philadelphia earlier this month. And we were both featured readers at an event put on by Josh Dale and 30 West Publishing House up there mm-hmm. and in Philadelphia. And so then my buddy Heath Brocker and I, the rest of that weekend, we just sort of wandered the streets of Philadelphia, had a pretty good time and just filmed each other making videos from various poems of our books in different spots. Oh, cool. Try and, uh, try and set up in front of a storefront. Maybe we'd, it would catch our eye and one of us would think we have a poem that would work well in that setting or uh-huh. things like that. And met an artist doing a mural on the side of one of the walls there. And so cool. sort of talked to him and read a poem in front of his painting. And so that was a lot of fun. It sort of sparked some ideas of some things I'd like to do in a similar vein going forward. Yeah, that's cool. I love the, the thing about mural and, and it, resonates for me with uh, one of the people who has home base in Lawrence, Kansas is Dave Lowenstein, who's a, a muralist whose projects are community murals involving people in whatever community and all over in lots of different parts of the world. Um, like you, he has connections with lots of other cultures and, and in one description of a of a mural that very sadly to me was being torn, the building it was on was being torn down in downtown Lawrence, Kansas. And uh, Dave made the comment that murals are visual poetry. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's um, working with other artists um, in different mediums. I think mm-hmm. connects well with poetry and that's mm-hmm. there's a venue uh, called glow mag that mm-hmm. uh, glory sasakala runs out of india and it does just that poets pair their work up with visual imagery whether it's photography or paintings mm-hmm. and so i've been a contributor there for uh, i guess over a year now and so it's one of my favorite venues because every month i get to go out and find a different artist to collaborate with, cool. And I'll ask them to, I'll ask them to send me their painting or photograph, and then I'll write a response to it. And it, they've paired up in the issue, and so I've had a chance to work with some amazing artists uh, in that capacity. That's great. And and you didn't say the word, but the word I love this word: ekphrastic mm-hmm. poetry. <laughs> yep, that's it. <laughs> That's a great word. I was uh, a a writer who's based in Kansas City, but from Mexico. Um, Shanet Carasa is the one who introduced me to that, and a lot of her work. And I want to ask you about yours because, again, you do international stuff. A lot of her work, she writes, although she's fluent in English, she writes in Spanish, and she has a lot of poetry that is ekphrastic, where there is uh, sometimes a certain um, painter who 
a whole collection of poetry may be with related to paintings by this certain painter in Spain. And she, Chanette uses an English poet translator rather than translating her own work. So in her, some of her books, there is this um, photograph or illustration of this piece of art and then Spanish and English poem, um, th those two versions of it. And, and I love that part too. And, and the whole idea that, that poet, poet, I would think that poetry would be one of the hardest things to translate because as, as you said at the beginning, there's that, there's that musicality, there's that lyricality to poet, there, poetry. There's, there's the impact of what it sounds like out loud, not just what it looks like on the page and certainly not just what the words mean. I, you know, I, I, I get boggled. Um, I, I had the privilege of doing a show with a man named Mark Statman, who's now living in Oaxaca, Mexico, and he's known for doing translations of, of real Lorca and other, um, so from Spanish to English, and he also writes his own, and, and how difficult that is. And so I want to, I want to ask you, you mentioned this, this magazine, um, Glomag, is is out of India. So tell me about the cultural and language and, and poetry part in addition to the, the part that it's tied to art. How does this work? Well, her magazine, Gloria's magazine, is published in English. Okay. And so, um, but there are a lot of Indian poets in it, um, mm -hmm. as well as just from around the world. But I love that idea of the ecrastic poetry and the translations, it just shows how expansive art is and how combining languages and cultures and mm -hmm. all together. There's another magazine um, called Sethi Literary Journal, and it's out of India, and they have, they do it both in Hindi and English. And so people should check that one out too. Um, run by. Sunil Shamar and Anurag Shamar. They've um, featured my work there a couple of times. And when they do that, do they they have it in English and Hindi? Mine was not translated, but okay. they're each month. There's two different versions of the magazine, and so uh -huh. some of them are translations, and some of them are different work altogether in the two different varieties, but. Just a lot of uh, good stuff to read out of that journal. Mm -hmm. How how did the connection for you happen with these two publications that are based in India? Wow, good question. I don't even know if I can remember where exactly. <laughs> I think it I think it gets back to that point I was making earlier on in the program about where I'd see someone's work and just follow the trail. Uh huh. And. So I think meeting Sunil Sharma that way, I'd probably read his work somewhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, well, obviously I've read it somewhere, but where exactly that was, can't say for sure. Um, but actually his work is also, there's a site that I edit called the Peregrine Muse. We have writers from all over the world there too. And mm -hmm. he has a page there. Um, people should check out that site. Mm-hmm. Um, and Glory, I met her through Facebook, 
her submission guidelines are on a Facebook page for the magazine. Mm-hmm. Actually, I met her through a friend of mine that lives in France, Don Viaquez. <laughs> of course. Who <laughs> <laughs> um, was another amazing poet. And he is really big into the acrostic poetry. So I remember seeing his work in her magazine and then I submitted after that. So just that's what I love, the connections. I just... It's like tendrils going out everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And when we were getting ready to do the show, you mentioned that you may be doing something in London too. Looking pretty good at this point. Um, Uh Matt Dugan, who's a poet over in London, has a new book coming out in October. And so he's going to be doing a release event over there. And the person I mentioned earlier, my buddy Heath Brocker, uh, and I are both going to fly over there, it's looking like, and read at that show. Oh, cool. Which I'm definitely looking forward to. It should be a lot of fun. I've never been out of the the country in a physical oh, sense. So okay. that'll be a I didn't realize that. Right. Uh, nice experience. Yeah. It's, it's kind of nice to start someplace where we kind of speak the same language, but it's only kind of. <laughs> <laughs> like wait I'm not sure I understood that I love I get through the accents yeah yeah exactly and they're thinking the same thing about you you know it's like, what are you saying it's American <laughs> language you speak <laughs> yeah that, that'll be amazing so you and another poet friend Heath Brocker will be going have the plan of going to London. That's exciting stuff. That's really I'm really cool. looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know whether you'll have the opportunity. You think you'll do some other traveling while you guys are there? I'm not sure. I've had a couple people that have mentioned if you're in the area, hop on a plane and get over here too. But yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not, not as easy as it as, as one, two, three, but I would definitely keep it in mind. Uh-huh. And as the the weeks and months and years roll on, that's definitely something I do hope to visit as many places as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, if the work will continue to allow those doors to open, I'm certainly mm-hmm. yeah. willing to run right through them. Yeah. Yeah. You also have a new book, and we haven't really talked about that. So I don't know whether you would like to tempt us with more poetry first, or just if you want to talk a little bit about that book. Oh uh, yeah, I would, I would. I would love to talk about that book. I actually okay. have a poem that's not in the book though, um, but it sort of goes along with everything we've been talking about here. All right. Um, because it it was one that's been translated into Albanian, and then my friend Don Biakas, who I just mentioned, also translated into. Africans. Oh, wow. And then it was also recently translated into Italian uh, by another friend of mine uh, entered into a contest that the results should be coming out for soon. And it's called Transcending Definitions. Art is not an institution. It is an inner fire born out of those whose eyes pierce deeply into hidden, burning beauty. Art is not a class taught by academia. 
It is a holy vibration pulsing through the veins of those who sense the truth of this world's perfect purity. Art is not a transaction. It is a soulful expression that has no choice but to be released as a reflection of the source. Art is not a sales pitch. It is an intense emotion coupled with a vision of crystalline transcendence that ruptures open new dimensions. Art is not yet ready for the grave. It is a raging protest against mortal flesh that sings the sweetest melody about overcoming life's suffering. Transcending definitions. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I know one of the lines in there is art is not a sales pitch, but I guess I can transition into now talking about my new book. <laughs> well, I wanna, so this this poem, but transcending definition that you just read. So is this a poem that will be coming into print in some collection that you're working towards? I'm I'm really I'm I love the name transcending definition as I also hear it as to me resonating with what I think art is. So, so the title is Transcend- Transcending Definition while the poem defines art in a way that <laughs> resonates for me. So my head's kind of spinning on that. And, and again, I'm wondering, is this one that will be available in print? This is one that I'm probably going to put in my next book, cool. which is okay. um, in progress right now and hopefully around the end of November is when shooting to get it out. Oh, wonderful. Um, it's actually going to be with the same publisher that my uh, latest is with. Had such a good time sort of working with the publishers there that we're going to do another one. Okay. Well, then it's a even smoother transition into your new book from which publishing house? Uh, this is through Alien Buddha Press. All right. Uh, and it's run by Red Fox and Jay Minor. They are both photographers also. And so in their various trips around the country, they've taken all sorts of photographs. Uh-huh. And this latest collection, uh, Poison in Paradise, that I did with them, we took 25 uh, full-color photographs of theirs. And interspersed that with, I think I have 67 poems in here and tried to match them up thematically and align them as smoothly as possible to really put out what I think is my most artistic book yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I haven't haven't worked in this way with photographs as well. So it was a lot of fun and me and Red went back and forth on the manuscript about 30 or 40 times before we uh-huh. got it into uh, the final version that went to print. So I want to give a shout out to him, thank him for all that time that he put into it. Yeah. Uh, definitely uh, turned out well, I think. Um, we're both happy with it. and uh, He also did the front cover image which is a painting of his, uh-huh. sort of an abstract uh, feeling of chaos in it, but also really beautiful. So so he's a painter, photographer, publisher. <laughs> yeah, and poet. So he's... And poet, all right. 
he had his hands in a lot of different uh, he quadrupled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so poison in paradise tell me tell us about that as a concept the book itself and the concept behind it is sort of that tried and true fall from grace uh, story that's been told but trying to put my own spin on it so it's broken up into two parts um the first of which is called ubris fallen and that's a word that gets back my father whenever i was young and my ego would be getting a little too out of hand he'd always say to me ubris ubris and <laughs> sort of with that mindfulness in me that i need to get back to center mm-hmm. um and so the first first section is about sort of that fall from grace and then part two is called redemptive heights and it comes in with some of my newer work from the past year which is more about that spiritual ascension and climbing to reclaim a more centered consciousness, a more peaceful way of viewing the world. And I think that's where I'm, I'm at at this point in my life and what I'm constantly striving and seeking to become more in tune with are those sort of higher values of peace and unconditional love, trying to foster those and cultivate those and, my psyche as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I think putting the second part of this book together helped in that process as well. And so the next book hopefully will be even another step forward in that journey. But so this is a book that's this collaboration with the photographers who also in this case are, are the publishers and you and your poetry and and so i know i keep asking about connections but tell us a little bit about that in terms of this is different from some where somebody's putting together a collection around a theme that that they have recognized in their life and or work this is a very dual effort so how how did you get this to happen how do how do you guys make this realization that you were the set of people to work on this particular project? Really just came together naturally. Um, I think we had known each other through Facebook loosely and never really made uh, much of a connection. But when I saw they opened up their press, I sent a short manuscript of a chat book in. Mm-hmm. And then they got back to me a few weeks later on that and said that they'd like to work with it, but asked if I could expand it. And so that's when I came up with the overall concept of the book and tried to put it together uh, with more of a full energy behind it. So I sent that back to Red. And then he started talking about his photography and uh, showed me his pages. And I went and started looking through those and sent him back a bunch that I thought might work with the book because we talked about possibly doing the collaboration at that point. Mm -hmm. And so it just kept going from there because then he would send me more photos that might go with this poem or move this one around to here and really worked out well in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's these type of projects that are helpful in keeping me inspired. Um, just constantly really getting to work with all these types of artists. And so I'm just really thankful for that. Yeah. Social media brought you together initially. Your, your hard work ethic on sending out your work to places as you were, as you put it, kind of following those threads of reading different people's work and where were they being published and kind of you're accumulating this, this body of knowledge about those, those small presses, etc. Your chapbook suggestion, submission prompts this request for more and then this, this offer to collaborate. That's very cool. Yeah, I think you just crystallized it a lot better than that. <laughs> that's actually, that's exactly it. I think that's inspiring. And I think it's, it's another one of those things where some things are meant to be, but they still take effort. <laughs> yes. It's, um, yeah, it's fun working with art, but then there is also the, you have to be, able to put in the blood, sweat, tears and time and energy and hours. And, mm -hmm. and as I was saying, you know, we went back, I wasn't exaggerating. There were probably at least 30 versions going back and forth before it was nailed. Maybe that has to do with my perfectionism when it comes to uh, these things. So I hope I didn't drive them crazy. I hope they still want to do the second book after <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it. And for people who are listening and they're thinking, wait a minute, what, what's the name of that book again? <laughs> it is Poison in Paradise. And um, links, if anyone wants to look it up, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. But also my central hub is my personal website, 17numa.wordpress.com. And then I have pages at the website with all my interviews and poetry publications and books and reviews that I've written of other people's work. Um, there's also, if people are looking for venues to submit, there's a links page at my site and it has over 300 links to different publishers and um, journals and magazines and newspapers. So that's a good resource page if anyone wants to Take advantage of it. Yeah, that's great. Making good use of a list like that is learning about those sources before you send something to them so that there's a chance that what you're sending is the kind of thing that they like. <laughs> Just saying. Absolutely. Always go in and read a couple poems at least. Read the submission guidelines thoroughly and Make sure you vibe with the yeah, venue. Yeah. You're not wasting their time or yours. Yeah. Yeah, that's really important. <laughs> <laughs> Will you share a poem from Poison in Paradise to tempt us even further to go to that website and buy this book? Sure. I would be happy to. Um, I'm going to read one. This is a piece that was actually also published in a uh, broadside series out through 48th Street Press recently. It's a limited edition series they do each year, so I was really excited to be included in that. And then it's also included in the book, and it's called Closer to the Core. 
Yellow is the color of salvation when the light of your eyes fades into the sun. We are all one with love, but it's important to be careful not to get too caught up in the hype of such a pretty concept, else we forget the sordid fact that there's war raging on the streets tonight. Violence is born from both sides of the same coin, believing they landed on righteous. So pour a drink, flip it high, and then let me know which side of the line you'll be standing on this time. Come closer, sweet angel, and I will whisper all the wicked truths I've learned into your weathered ears. I used to believe that I could never tell a lie. Now I know for sure that even the most strident faith still has a little room to stretch. Yellow is the color of heaven when the air from your lungs blows out the fire. Closer to the core. Beautiful. So we can get this book, Poison in Paradise, be be able to experience photography, a beautiful painting on the front, and the poetry. And I'm thinking, this sounds like a experience saver. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, as the poems that you've shared today have really, really resonated for me. And, and our, our ways of speaking are very different. The concepts are very dear to me of what you're saying and what conversations and the poetry. And I, I can hardly wait to have my own copy of Poison in Paradise. So listeners, I do too. I tell you, buy the books. That's something I do too. Um, this is one I'm especially looking forward to. So I want that seed to be planted with other people, that this is a, a really important thing. Art is not only to be experienced for free, only online, etc. <laughs> <laughs> Artists have rent, etc., and it takes great skill and lots of hard work to produce beautiful works. So something good to know. You can find works lots of places, and again, as local to the artists as possible is really great. And independent bookstores are often those places where fabulous readings happen too. So that's another reason to to use that way of purchasing things. Anyway, this this it does sound like a particularly beautiful book. And, and for me, I, I'm very much a nature person. That's my, my husband pointed out to me yesterday. It's like, you haven't been doing your moments of Zen enough lately, which means my going out to walk in this, these fields that I go to with our dog. It's like, I know I need to. (laughs) Absolutely. That's sounds wonderful. (laughs) And photographs are, are really wonderful too to to be able to to have those glimpses of things going on in the world um, with with images as well as words and poetry i i yeah this particular volume really appeals to me poison in paradise by scott thomas outlaw and um, yeah so your next one you also mentioned that hopefully this will be coming in november and have this beautiful piece Transcending definitions be part of it. 
I'm, I'm envisioning you are always living and working, you know, and not just working, but working on your art is, is who you are. Does that sound it, right to you? I think that's exactly it. It's almost poetry isn't just something you write on the page. I think it's sort of a lifestyle in itself. And art is a way of life. It's a way of mm -hmm. viewing things. It's a philosophy almost. Mm -hmm. Seeing the beauty and everything, making the connections and diverse ideas and trying to uh, synergize them and living for connections also with nature and mm -hmm. with other people. Yeah. So I think that that's just a constant mode of life for me at this mm -hmm. point is mm -hmm. trying to live life as if it is a poem. Ah, and, and to me that when you said that seeing the beauty and everything, to me, that's an, such an important reminder for life. And from a whole different part of my social work experience, I was exposed to the phrase that you can only see what you believe in. And it was for a very different reason than what we're talking about right now, but we have to be open to seeing beauty. You know, we can, we can, decide that the world is a beautiful place in spite of, yes, there are hardships that are happening all over. And there is goodness and beauty happening all over too. And that is part of what energizes, fuels us. It's not just about food and exercise and sleep. It's also about feeling our souls, our spirits, whatever words you want to use. And, and recognizing beauty to me part of that. And there are lots of different kinds of beauty. There are different ways we might experience beauty. But we have to have the blinders off to see it. And and if your sense is that, wait a minute, you're not noticing it, then look again, because it is there. And I think that's an important message, Scott, that you're sending out into the world, that, that there truly is beauty especially at this point in time that we're at, because it's not about uh, ignoring the fact that there is the chaos and the war in the world, because obviously that's all around us. Um, just turn on the news. They'll bring you down in a minute. Yeah. And so at this juncture, at this point in time, it's even more important to not let those negative energies override your consciousness, but to mm -hmm. stay resonating in a higher field of energy. Because um, yep. that's the only solution. Is if, if you want peace, you're gonna have to find it in yourself first, and then resonate it outward. Yeah, and, and that's then you the start to see all, the beauty. Yeah, we can all make a difference, and we have to keep ourselves centered and focused and energized to be able to do those things. To be able to, to be the one who notices somebody and even sharing a smile acknowledging somebody who maybe is often overlooked and you look that person in the in the eyes and smile as you're crossing paths on the sidewalk there are all kinds of ways we can make a difference obviously some are a lot more active and involved than that but 
but kindness is an important part as well as different kinds of activism. And, and again, art becomes one of those ways of getting people to wake up and pay attention. So we are at the end of this hour. We have been lots of places, including India and London. <laughs> <laughs> And baseball fields, Wrigley Park. Um, Scott, it is truly an honor and a delight to talk with you. And listeners, I'm not kidding when I say I'm buying Poison in Paradise. I'm adding that to my collection. So thank you, Scott Thomas Outlaw. Thank you, Marcia. It's been a joy uh, to be back on. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. And so long to our listeners.